How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hey guys, I just want to make a note of something real quickly before you get into the actual podcast. At one point, I talk about the ESPN summer forecast and their accuracy on the Knicks over the last couple of years. In the 2014-15 season, I said that they projected the Knicks for 48 wins, when in actuality, they projected them for 37. So they were not 31 wins high on the Knicks that season. They were 20 wins high. Just keep that in mind when you're listening to the podcast. But other than that, everything else should be good to go. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine. And what's mine is yours. Hey, HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Go ball. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream that live through me. I'm about to take off. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 16. I am your host, Jared Dubin. I want to say thanks to Sean Scott for the intro music once again and to his manager, LeVar, for the hookup. The song is called Good Times. It's produced by Pav Bundy. If you want to find Sean's music, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at SeanScottHR. Find some of his tracks on SoundCloud as well. Thanks once again to all of them for the intro music. Do you want to touch on something today before we get into uh, day six of the mailbags, which again, I'm going to be doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week before I go on vacation, and then we'll start doing you know only one or two podcasts a week after that. But quickly before we get into the questions for today, I want to note that ESPN's annual summer forecast started today. Uh, that's every year they do things like win projections for every team in the league, projections for all of the league's major awards, as well as things like best newcomer, worst newcomer, team turmoil, team turnaround, things like that. The first stage of that, which came out on uh, Monday early afternoon, was the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, the Knicks were projected to finish in ninth place in the Eastern Conference with a record of 40-42. and 42. Uh, predictably, Knicks fans on Twitter not very happy about that, unsurprising. I think that's now a nine-year streak of Knicks fans being unhappy with ESPN's win projection, and, you know, they've been doing the summer forecast for nine years. So, you know, obviously every team's fans pretty much thinks that the the crowd is low on them. Uh, quick explanation what the summer forecast is, you know, they ask a uh, hundred or more contributors to give their win predictions for each team, and then the average of those predictions are rounded to the nearest win, and obviously they line those up in the order of predicted finish. Uh, full disclosure, I was part of the panel this year, as I have been every year since 2011-12. Um, again, the Knicks were predicted for 40 wins this year. That is slightly lower than what I put in in my submission, which was 42 and 40. That's you know based on the numbers I talked about last week on Friday's podcast for the history of teams with 30 to 35 wins. 
Um, actually, the crowd projection of 40 wins basically works out to the median improvement of, you know, the 32 of 51 teams since 2000 that won between 30 and 35 games the year before. The median improvement for those teams um, was eight and a half wins. So an, an eight-win improvement for the Knicks would basically fall right in line with that. Uh, obviously, you know, fans will be fans, and the predictions don't matter too much because, again, they have to play the games on the court. But in full disclosure, they have been some of the most accurate overall projections throughout the league since ESPN started doing them and have been more accurate, actually, than Vegas over-unders uh, since the beginning of the series. Uh, last year, uh, the summer forecast predicted the Knicks for 25 wins. They actually won 32 games. But the year before, the summer forecast predicted the Knicks for 48 games, and they actually won 17. So if you want to say that they're... They always underestimate the Knicks. Well, not really, because two years ago they overshot by 31 wins. Um, you know, not not that people will care of me advocating for the the summer forecast. There will be people that, no matter what, will think ESPN hates the Knicks. Um, I'll just throw it out there. There's like thousands of people that work for ESPN. The idea that every single one of them has conspired to hate one team. And it's the team in the biggest media market in the world is a little bit insane. But, you know, people will believe what they want to believe. But in the end, you know, it's just a projection. Who cares? You know, there's no reason to get all that worked up about it. But anyway, again, 40 and 42, ninth place in the East, one game out of the playoffs. That would mark an eight-game improvement uh, from last season. Let's start with the first question for today is from Yanni Golan via email, and Yanni says, I know the Knicks signed Marshall Plumley and Mo Endor to guaranteed minimum deals, but can they move them to the Westchester Knicks and free up a roster spot during the season? The answer to that is no. Uh, no matter what, if you have a guy signed to your active NBA roster, even if you send them down to the D-League, no matter whether it's for two hours or two months, they take up a roster spot on the NBA roster. Um, that's just the way it works. That's something that a lot of people involved with the D-League and a lot of people involved with the NBA want to see changed in the next CBA so that, you know, when you send down a guy, let's say a second-round pick or an undrafted free agent or whatever, you can send them down there for some development and you can still sign somebody to the active NBA roster so that it basically, so that it doesn't waste a roster spot because that's really what it does. But that's the way it works right now. Um, pretty simple answer, but did want to give... The, the people to answer that one. Um, question number two from Tom Feely via email. He asks, on an early episode, you mentioned that the infamous Jeremy Lin contract was wrongly identified as a poison pill contract by a lot of people. So what exactly is a poison pill contract versus an arenas provision contract? This is somewhat of a confusing answer because the poison pill doesn't actually exist in the CBA. It's just a term that people came up with for a contract that is difficult to trade because it has a huge increase in salary value at a certain point. So in that sense, the final year of of a, an arenas provision contract is a poison pill, but that's only true if the, the home team matches that arenas provision contract. I'll explain like this. So the Jeremy Lin contract, as an example, 
was signed as, you know, a three-year deal with, you know, league average salaries, league average salary to start, then a 7.5% raise, and then a balloon payment of something like 15 or $16 million, I can't remember the exact number, in year three. Now, that's the actual contract payments going out to the player, but for the team that gives the contract, it counts against the salary cap at the average of the three years, which was around $8.9 million. If the Knicks had matched the deal, or if the Bulls matched a similar deal that the Rockets gave to Omar Asik in 2012, then it would have counted as the exact contract figures, and that third year would act as a poison pill because it would make it difficult to trade him because that third-year salary is so much bigger than the previous two. Another example of this is what used to be called... Um, Actually, sorry, uh, scratch that. But another example of this is when a player signs an extension off of his rookie contract, and he's still in the final year of that rookie contract. So, for example, C.J. McCollum just signed an extent, a maximum contract extension of four years and $106 million, but this coming season he'll still be on the final year of his rookie deal, which is obviously a significantly lower salary than his starting salary of around $24 million next season. But in trades, the calculation of the salary is different. He doesn't count for just the salary that he makes this year because his salary goes up so much more. So in effect, he's got a poison pill on his contract because it makes it very difficult uh, in terms of the cap accounting to actually trade him. So that's you know the explanation of the poison pill, which is Again, it's not a real provision. It's just something that people refer to contracts as because it makes it difficult for guys that have escalating salaries in one year of their deal. Um, it's escalating more than the typical amount. Obviously, you can give out contracts that have 4.5% raises or 7.5% raises, depending on whether you sign the player from another team or re-sign your own player. But... There can be two different situations where the contract escalates one more. One of them is the arenas provision, and one of them is when a player signs an extension and is still in the final year of his rookie deal. Um, question number three from Billy D via email says, I've heard some buzz about the Knicks being interested in a three-way deal to acquire Greg Monroe from the Bucks. I assume we would be giving up O'Quinn, which would be an improvement, but does this really make sense? We need another point guard, not another big. I assume Monroe would have to come off the bench behind Noah, which would definitely improve our bench with Lance, Jennings, and Monroe, but we already have Hernan Gomez and KP taking minutes at the five spot. Do you see any reason to trade for Monroe? He had he shot down New York last year. He hasn't fit with his last few teams. Back-to-the-basket centers are not really needed in the league right now, and we need a point guard. What are your thoughts? I largely agree with all of those sentiments. I do not think Greg Monroe would be a good fit. I do not think the Knicks need another big man. I do think the Knicks need another point guard. We did an entire podcast on that for the 15th man uh, podcast that I did with Brian Giverman a couple weeks ago. I don't think it's necessarily relevant that Monroe shot down the Knicks last summer. Like, you know, Kevin Durant shot down the Knicks this year. Would you not want to trade for him? Um, you know, if, if he was a better player and a better fit, then I wouldn't care if he shot down the Knicks a year ago. You know, it doesn't really matter. But, look, that's something that, you know, I've asked around about the potential Monroe deal, not really gotten much feedback that it's something that is going to happen. 
I know that the rumor floated around out there for a couple days, but it sort of died off rather quickly, mostly because, you know, it doesn't make much sense. Uh, if they do trade O'Quinn, which again, you know, I've said I think he would be the most likely guy to be traded because of his salary and because there doesn't really seem to be a spot for him in the rotation, which uh, we'll get to in a minute. But I would assume and hope that they would be looking to make a move for a point guard because, again, that's something they very badly need. And, um, you know, I would say they also probably need a shooting guard, which is going to lead us into our next and final question for the day, which is from at a powerlifter via Twitter. And powerlifter asks, what minutes per game total would you like to see for each player compared to what you think will happen? Um, as I went through the Knicks roster, compiling you know what I thought would be good minutes totals uh, for each player for various reasons, one of the things that I ran into was the fact that there really is not a reliable shooting guard option at all beyond Courtney Lee. And you know if, if you assume that he plays in sort of the low thirty minutes range, which is pretty reasonable, you know, because he's he'll be the starting two guard but he's not someone you're going to play 38, 40 minutes a game. I really don't really see anybody that you can definitely count on to play like 16 minutes a game at the two even. Um, you know, I'll go through my my totals that I would use right now and then, um, you know, briefly touch on what I think will actually wind up happening. And uh, some of that will reveal some things that, you know, I think are decent ideas. Some things I think are not that great ideas, but so my uh, my idea was okay. So Derrick Rose starting at point guard, uh, I have him for 28 minutes a game. Courtney Lee at shooting guard, 32 minutes a game. Carmelo starts at small forward, 34 minutes a game. Porzingis starts at power forward, 34 minutes a game. Noah starts at center, 26 minutes a game. Lance Thomas, first guy off the bench, 24 minutes a game. Brandon Jennings, backup point guard, second guy off the bench, 20 minutes a game. Then you have the next four guys on the bench are Hernan Gomez, Endor, Holiday, and Kuzminskis. And they combine for either somewhere between 36 and 42 minutes a game. If it's on the low end, then you give two minutes each to Plumlee, O'Quinn, and Sasha on average, for the whole season, because I would imagine there will be injuries and stuff like that. But I'd rather probably not play those guys. You know, even going to 11 guys is a little bit much, but I think you have to do some position fudging because, again, there are really, you know, Holiday is the only guy coming off the bench that's really a two, unless you're counting Vujicic, which, again, is one of the things that I think will wind up happening is, He's going to play more minutes than any Knicks fan really wants to see this year simply because he has a history with Phil Jackson, with Kurt Rambis, with the triangle offense, which, you know, even if they're running some sort of hybrid version of it, they are going to be running some version of it. And he's one of three guys on the team that's that's played in it before, or four guys, if you include O'Quinn, that has played in it before. Five guys, sorry, I forgot Lance Thomas. But I would imagine that he will be getting more minutes uh, than anybody is really comfortable with. And somebody like 
Holiday or Kuzminskis or Endor uh, will probably not play as much as fans are hoping they will right now. You know, some of that will be because fan expectations are a little bit higher than uh, than actuality. Some of it will be because they're young and might not know what they're doing yet. Some of it will be because they need a two guard and <laughs> there there aren't any others on the roster. Um, I expect also that Rose will play more than twenty eight minutes a game. You know, I had him lower because I want to do everything in my power to keep him healthy. And I think that the backup point guard, Jennings, is good enough to play enough minutes that you can limit Rose and not really lose much when you have your backup point guard on the court. And um, I would rather Rose play fewer minutes on average and play more games and be healthy the whole season than have him play like 33, 34 minutes a night and put more strain on his legs, uh, especially because I don't think the extra five minutes a night or so is worth the risk. Like, I don't think that he'll be that much better than Jennings to merit putting him at more risk, and I think every minute he's on the floor is more of a risk based on the history of the last few years. So I would try to go a pretty close to equitable minute split between those two guys, but I expect that Rose will play more and Jennings will play more because I think we're going to see them play together some simply because, again, there are no options beyond Lee that are really good options at the two. And uh, that's going to lead them to playing Jennings and, and Rose together for a few minute stretches each game, I think. Uh, how, how much that happens, how many minutes at a time it happens is unknown, obviously, but it's something I definitely think we'll see. Um, Noah, 26 minutes a game. I think that's, you know, about where I'd want him. Again, mostly to keep him healthy. I would rather he lasts the whole season than that he plays 30 plus minutes a night. And, you know, I think that there are enough options. You know, if you play him 26 minutes a night, you play Hernan Gomez 12 minutes a night, then there are 10 minutes left over for Porzingis to play at center. Um, I think he should probably play a little bit more than that at center, but that's a decent step up from last year uh, when he averaged, you know, around three minutes a night at center through the first couple months and then like six or seven for a while and then uh, I think like 10 or 11 towards the end of the season. If you get him in that 10-11 range on a night-to-night basis, then you can keep upping that over the next few years. Uh, plus, there will be a point when, when Noah gets hurt based on his last few seasons. And I would hope, expect and hope that Porzingis will be you know, the primary center when that happens. Um, Lance Thomas I had for 24 minutes a night. I think that sounds about right. Now, I would assume he'll be the first guy off the bench. I know they really like him and what he brings to the floor. He can play the three and the four. You know, I would imagine that he'll be the first sub coming in for Noah, at which point the Knicks will be in a you know a small lineup with Porzingis at center to start off. And then when he comes out, then maybe uh, that's that's when you bring somebody like Hernan Gomez in. But, uh, you know, uh, then, uh, you know, it allows him to, to share that 3-4 role with Carmelo. And they worked very well in that configuration last season. You know, what I would do is something they started doing a little bit last season and then sort of abandoned it, is I would have 
Carmelo come off the court before Porzingis. You know, they wound up going the other way around where Porzingis would come out around six minutes into the game and then come back in for Lopez later on. I think it's better to get Carmelo on that rest schedule because the second unit, you know, other than Jennings, doesn't really have a, a true scoring option out there. And since KP's a big guy and most of his stuff is going to be created for him, I'd rather have Melo play with that second unit so he can do his creating. Plus, it will pit him against weaker defenders. Uh, I don't think if it's a big deal if they go the other way around and have KP be the guy that comes out early and then play with the bench unit. But uh, I think at this point, it might be time, now Carmelo's uh, 32 years old, to move him to sort of the Dirk rest plan, where he comes out with like, you know, two or... Uh, Dirk comes out at like six minutes left in the first quarter and then come back comes back in later in the first. But I think if you take Carmelo out with two or three minutes left in the first, bring him back in with eight or nine minutes left in the second, play the rest of that quarter, um, that'll give him a few minutes against bench guys before the starters come back in to end the quarter. And then you can change it up a little bit in the second half so that he... Uh, he he plays a, a shorter stretch to end the game, come back in with like seven minutes or so, maybe plays the whole third quarter, sits the first four or five of the fourth, and then plays the rest of the way. But I do think it would be good to get him some time against bench units, uh, bench-heavy units at a certain point during that second quarter or so. And uh, But again, doesn't really matter if they do that uh, with Porzingis instead. I think either either way, you just want to have one of them do it. Because, you know, if it's me, I have, I'm, I want one of the two of them on the court at all times. I don't really think there should be a scenario where they're both sitting. Uh, I think that's somewhat uh, somewhat wasteful. And that's something I feel about the, the top two options on pretty much every team. Um, that's going to be it for today. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. Another one on Wednesday. Then I'm out of town uh, for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we'll come back next week uh, with either one or two podcasts. Uh, when the Olympics gets going, we'll try to check in with Carmelo, Hernan Gomez, and Kuzminskis when they're out there. Um, once again, if you want to have a question answered on the show, feel free to reach out to me at LockedOnKnicks or at jadubin 5 You can send me an email, LockedOnKnicks at gmail.com, or to my personal email address, which you can find in the Twitter bio of at jadubin 5 that also goes for if you'd like to advertise on the program. Again, that's at LockedOnKnicks, at jadubin 5 LockedOnKnicks at gmail.com, or my personal email address, which you can find in the bio of at jadubin 5 You can find the podcast on Audioboom. You can find it on Stitcher, where you can subscribe if you're an Android user. You can also find it on iTunes. Search for LockedOnKnicks. Search for LockedOn Podcast Network as well. There's a lot of podcasts for a bunch of different teams in there. Um, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review and rating. Bill Walker stars, that's five stars. Um, once again, thank you to Sean Scott for the intro music and his manager, LeVar, for the hookup. The song is called Good Times. It's produced by Pav Bundy. You can find Sean Scott on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Scott HR. Once again, we'll be back with another podcast tomorrow.